G Suite by Google Cloud is a suite of cloud-based productivity tools that includes Gmail, Docs, Slides, Sheets, and Drive. You can make real-time updates to the same document without having to keep track of multiple versions. And since all the tools are cloud-based, your whole team can access the same document and work on the same page at the same time. Make it with G Suite by Google Cloud. To find out more, visit gsuite.com. We will not be driven by fear into an age of unreason. This is The Ringer MLB Show. My name is Michael Bauman, and I am a staff writer at The Ringer. The Ringer MLB Show is, as always, part of The Ringer Podcast Network, which is itself a part of The Ringer.com. The Ringer.com is home to lots of good content this week. I'd like to point out two specific articles. One is Kate Nibbs uh, tying together the new Hugh Jackman movie, The Front Runner, with the recent history of American political scandal. I'd also encourage you to read Alyssa Barisnak's uh, exploration of something called voice texting which chilled me to my bones. It was one of the scariest works of journalism I've ever read. Uh, and so I would recommend that you make yourself aware of voice texting. But this is a baseball podcast, so we're going to have Zach Cram on and talk about baseball right after this. So the World Series ended, it feels like, three years ago. And here to talk about the offseason is Zach Cram. Zach, you voted. I did. And uh, the offseason just getting started. The only thing longer than the 2018 presidential primary season, or I should say 2018 to 2020 presidential primary season, which starts tomorrow. We're recording on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, It's going to be this off season. I am, my loins are girded for the takes. How about yours? How are your loins? (laughs) Someone asked me uh, just a couple days ago when I thought Machado and Harper would sign. And I said anywhere between Thanksgiving and spring training, uh, which is, (laughs) Not necessarily the range any of us would have predicted before last offseason, but you know, if that turns into a pattern as opposed to a one-off blip, we could be in for a long negotiating period. Last offseason makes me really nervous because I think the it's not it can't be that that slow this year, just because there are so many players who are the kind of free agent you go out and and you know spend nine figures on without blinking an eye. Um, but I just worry that that the dichotomy of teams avoiding the luxury tax and the teams that are tanking and just the the way that they uh, successfully drove salary down last year is going to make this really terrible. Um, but we're going to talk about free agency uh, a little bit. I mean, obviously, we're going to react to it throughout the the postseason or the offseason, I should say. Um, but first, we're going to hit some some news bullet points. I have this marked as the news blitz which is mixing our sports metaphors on the on the rundown. So we're just going to go story by story. Are you ready? Go for it. All right. First one, Clayton Kershaw uh, uh, signs a contract extension with the Los Angeles Dodgers. He is not opting out. He is not becoming a free agent. Uh, it's a three-year, $93 million deal, which is about what I expected in terms of, in, uh, in terms of outcome and uh, salary, but it's a year shorter. I think everybody, the consensus seemed to be that he would be uh, signing for two extra years um, instead of just the one. Yeah, this is kind of the middle ground where it's not exciting in either direction. I think if he had hit the market, it would have been fascinating to see what kind of salary he commanded, whether he or Patrick Corbin made more money, which is a weird thing to say. Uh, but with him only signing for one more year, that means he could conceivably be a free agent again in three years, and it doesn't 
quite clinched that he'll be a Dodger for the rest of his career. I think from a baseball fan perspective, it's a good thing that he's staying in Dodger blue, even though you know I think both of us support players getting whatever money they can wherever, you know, whichever team offers them. I think having a player last his entire career with one team is still something kind of intrinsically special. I think depending on how you calculate it, Kershaw is either the second or third longest tenured pitcher who only stuck with one team since free agency started. Uh, Number one is Felix Hernandez. So it's not something we see very often. And it, it, you know, if they don't win the world series, then that will last with him forever. But it's still glad that we don't have to see him in a different uniform. Yeah, that's that's my takeaway. I'm not even uh, looking at this from a player power perspective or a base, you know, even a strictly baseball perspective. It would have been weird to see him in a different uniform in a way that I don't think like we've been waiting for Bryce Harper to hit free agency pretty much his entire career. You know what happens with Mike Trout with the Angels and Kershaw's the only one of those guys who it just like it feels right that he's in Los Angeles and I'm in no no hurry to to see him move Um, next Next news story, the Mets officially announced Brody Van Wagenen as their general manager, Brody Van Wagenen, late of CAA, former agent to Jacob deGrom, among other numerous Mets players. Uh, He was announced last week. I wrote about it. Um, What are your takes? I mean, I've got takes, but I'll let you get yours out of the way. So I think I'm of two minds here. The first mind is kind of the angle you wrote that it strikes me as an inherent conflict of interest that he represented so many high-profile Mets players as their agent and is now negotiating essentially against them. He said he will recuse himself from talking with like Jacob deGrom and Noah Syndergaard, but if he's running the show, they haven't really offered details of how he will recuse himself, how that will work. Is you know J- What they do with Jacob deGrom is the most important decision the franchise can make, and the general manager is just not going to be involved. That doesn't really make sense. On the other hand, I think going outside the box with a hire is somewhat interesting. You know, Van Wagenen is still a professional white guy who went to Stanford and is kind of of the same mindset of a lot of general manager hires these days, but he is somewhat different. And I'm curious to see how that manifests. He gave a quote either just yesterday or over the weekend about how he doesn't want to leave Peter Alonzo, the Mets prospect, down in the minors because wins in April count the same as the wins in September. Whether that actually does anything remains to be seen, but I think that kind of attitude is what we're looking for from executives these days. Yeah, we'll see what he does. We'll see how much how much of this hire is related to his ability to massage the Wilpons or make them feel involved or actually allow them to to be involved. I think that had a lot of a lot to do with their decision to go after him. And, you know, his we know we know very little about him. I have no reason to doubt his uh, his baseball intellect or his credentials. You know, I watched his pre or his uh, introductory press conference. He seemed smart and good with the media. And, you know, I walked away from it wanting to like him. And, you know, uh, AJ Hinch is is one of his longest friends. They played together at Stanford, and Hinch, who's a baseball person whose opinions I respect a lot, says that he knows what's going on and and uh, is a good negotiator. And you know his capability of doing the job, I don't doubt. It's just what you said. It's I worry about it from the from a standpoint of what does he know about Degrom that Degrom wouldn't have told someone 
knowing that he would become his general manager or not to Grom, or not even not uh, specifically to Grom or Cespedes or, or whoever else. And even if nothing ever comes to that, uh, it's an awkward position to be in. You know, I'm reminded of the, the Karen Gillen character in the big short where she's working for the SEC and, and interviewing for jobs at, at banks at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like it's the same kind of awkward transition uh, that, you know, there ought to be some sort of rule against you can't work for an agency and then go work uh, for a team for 24 months or something like that. You know, it's uh, beyond a certain level. I think that's it's not good for players. And Tony Clark, once again, is left watching from the sidelines with no recourse to saying, well, this is deeply troubling. And I actually have no idea if Tony Clark sounds like that. <laughs> so is the players union like the League of Nations? Oh boy. Um saying this can't happen but we have no method of enforcement. So here's why I'm not I'm not wild about filling out the rest of that metaphor. <laughs> um, but it's not, uh in terms of standing on the sideline and you know feeling like there ought to be something that you could do and just not having any recourse is is sort of where the players union's at and it's a bad place to be and I feel like Tony Clark is is more awake than he was a couple years ago when we saw like the uh, Kendris Morales and, and Stephen Drew uh, qualifying offer fiascos, for instance. Um, but they still just don't have like, I don't know what they're going to do about it. I don't know what they can do about it. You know, there's no higher authority to to really complain to. They didn't they didn't anticipate something like this, even though it's happened throughout other sports. And I don't know why it wasn't a bigger deal when this happened more than once in the NBA with Bob Myers and Rob Palenka uh, going to the the Warriors and Lakers or Mike Gillis uh, being the GM of the Vancouver Canucks. Like, this is not something that that could not have been anticipated. So, and you know, Scott Boris has said he's been offered jobs with teams. It's it's puzzling that the MLBPA didn't, um, didn't anticipate this at all or try to head this off. And now... In order to fix it, they're going to need to concede something else. It's going to make them weaker in another position, even if they do fix this. And it's just the story of labor relations in sports and indeed all of American society over the past several years. So I don't know. Maybe the Mets will be better off, but America less so. <laughs> um, Next up, other free or uh, front office news: the Astros have had some uh, front office shakeups. Some of the big names of uh, the people they've hired who made us think they were smart, essentially. Uh, Sig Meidel and Mike Fast, two of the, the big uh, names in their analytics department, have departed the team in recent weeks. Fast uh, did this, I believe, during the playoffs or late in the regular season. Uh, Sig Meidel uh, um, let his contract run out and will be departing the team. This came out after the World Series. Um, they've hired Sarah Gellis, the Baltimore Orioles head of, of analytics, um, which is how I discovered the Orioles had an analytics department. Um, so this is interesting because we're starting to see this is, we're going to see almost a a completely new generation of, of assistance to Jeff Lunau. And this might be a little bit too inside baseball, but you know, Mike fast is, is the guy who essentially brought pitch framing back to, um, back to the public attention when he was working at baseball prospectus. These are a bunch of, these are very smart players that they're losing and, and losing to unspecified, uh, new jobs or, you know, we don't know where they're going. This isn't David Stearns leaving to take over a team of his own. Um, so it's interesting to see what happens to the Astros. They've been doing some weird stuff with their scouting department, um, reorganizing, uh, uh, dialing way back on pro scouting. 
so we'll see what this this does to their um scouting applier development and analytics departments going forward we'll see how the team changes it's it's i honestly have no idea what the result of this is going to be uh where these people are going to end up um but it's definitely something to watch yeah it's hard to know from our perspective quite what to make of this because we don't know what's going on behind the scenes in Houston fast and might all are both very smart and presumably played a huge role in the Astros rise over the last few years. But they also probably had a lot of smart lieutenants and hired a lot of other smart people to help run things. So whether this changes things day to day from what we see, probably not. I think the interesting part about this is it sort of is the first, as you say, kind of break in the Astros dam of all these these people they've collected and built up. And if they go to other teams that could, you know, continue the homogenization of a lot of progressive analytically inclined front offices at this point, I I don't know what they're going to do next, but like the Dodgers are sort of at, in a similar position right now where Farhan Zaidi, who is one of their top executives over the last few years, seems like he's the favorite to take over in San Francisco as soon as this week. So it's just the smart teams are getting their guys either leaving intentionally or vultured, and that could spread these kinds of trends that we've been seeing from the top teams down to sort of diffuse to everywhere else. And that brings up something um, that I've been thinking. It, it, I mean, the way you hire is, you know, you hire the the top assistant for the company or the team that does something successful to come in and run your own team. You know, that worked out great for... Uh, for the Red Sox this year, hiring Alex Cora, who's a bench coach on the Astros last year, and uh, you know they won the World Series this year and fixed a lot of their the problems that are preventing that prevented them from doing so under John Farrell. And your point about homogenization is a smart one because if everybody is smart in the same ways, then it then the playing field just levels out. Then it just becomes about resources and execution, and. It's going to take a real paradigm shifting GM. And I I wrote I said this when I wrote about Theo Epstein two years ago. Um, the next Theo Epstein isn't gonna come from one of these traditional backgrounds. And whether that's somebody like Brody Van Wagen, and honestly, I think it's somebody it's gonna be not a white guy from a public school and a non-business or math background. Um, and that's I think a smart team will go cultivate smart people from alternative um Alternative makes them sound like like having a liberal arts degree is like growing up in the woods. Um, that's not what I mean. But from from the the next Theo Epstein is not going to look like Theo Epstein. And you're just it, all, what it's going to take is you've got to hire smart, creative uh, people who have the courage to make innovative decisions. And innovative is is a it's a word that's very much like skinny white guy in in khakis and a polo shirt you know like there's a like think fluencers and you know it's very silicon valley or very harvard mba and like that's not where the innovation is going to come from the next time so we'll see you know we'll see what these uh what the next generation of of front you know influential front office people looks like but right now you know we're shuffling some chairs around a little bit yeah and we talk a lot about what teams learn from successful teams but usually that's on the field whether it's you know the royals with how they deployed a bullpen or you know 
how teams build up their roster, et cetera. But this is really going sort of the next level, what they look like behind the scenes and how they build up research departments and baseball analytics departments is sort of where a lot of this stuff happens that we don't just have the access to that we do to managers and clubhouses. And it's not just it's not just a matter of identifying the people who had the last insight or it's not a matter of identifying the next insight or even the people who had the the last insight. It's identifying the people who are going to have the next insight. And I think I fumbled some adjectives there, but like, it's, <laughs> you know, it's it's a really difficult thing to do. I you know, it, it takes a lot of it's so much easier if you're running this multi, you know, this billion dollar organization uh, like a baseball team to just say, well, we're just going to keep being smart, but orthodox. And so I'm, you know, I'm interested to see, um, you know, where that next wave of people comes from and how long it's going to take to get there. Because uh, you mentioned Farhan Zaidi being uh, one of the uh, the front runners for that uh, Giants team president job. Um, you know, another name that was floated for that was Kim Ng, who has been the woman you name who, you know, she's been the, the first the first female GM in waiting for, it seems like 20 years now. And now she's at a point in her profession, professional career where she, her job at MLB is good enough that, you know, hiring her to be a GM and work under a president of baseball ops, you know, a 37 year old Harvard MBA, it'll be beneath her. And so, you know, how do you find that? Who is the, you know, who is now the actual next first woman to take, to run a major league team? Um, You know, these are the people that we're going to be looking for. And you know, I'm interested to see where they come from, how long it takes, because I, you know, I don't know who, who's on the horizon, the horizon right now. Um, other news: Turner Ward, Dodgers hitting coach Yasiel Puig, uh, hug cushion has accepted a uh, the equivalent job with the Cincinnati Reds under David Bell. Uh, I mentioned this just because it'll probably make Puig really sad, and uh, that makes me sad. Who do you think on the Reds is going to kiss and hug him? Oh boy. I could see Joey Votto doing it just to make it weird. Yeah. Beyond that, I don't know. The Reds need right more in, fun players. On Twitter at Zach Cram. <laughs> Sorry, if, uh, Cincinnati. If you if you have have your uh your front runner for most affectionate red. Uh the Texas Rangers have a new manager, Chris Woodward, former Los Angeles Dodgers third base coach, former manager of the New Zealand national baseball team. Um thoughts on this? I didn't know he was the former manager of the New Zealand national baseball team. I didn't either. Um, I just I just looked that up. I feel like I've thought Ron Washington was the Rangers manager for like 15 years now. Uh, so I'm curious to see how soon it will you know become knowledge for me that he is no longer the Rangers manager, and that's the extent of my thoughts on the Rangers managerial. I was going to say it's it's been it's been a couple months since they fired Jeff Bannister, and I keep forgetting they fired Jeff Bannister. Um, you know, we have very little insight, but wish him all the best. Uh, some actual player movement. Trevor Rosenthal has signed a one year deal with the Washington Nationals uh, with in- it's one year, seven million dollars guaranteed with incentives and a vesting player option that could take it up to two years, twenty nine million dollars. Trevor Rosenthal, the former excellent closer for the St. Louis Cardinals until uh, he had Tommy John surgery in August 2017. Uh, the basis for the deal is it's sort of Greg Hollandish. Uh, this feels like good Sean Doolittle insurance. 
you know, low risk, high reward, you know, Rosenthal sets it up to, he, you know, it's going to give himself a chance to, to pitch some high leverage innings. And if he's back, then he's going to get paid again. It seems pretty okay for, for both sides. Yeah. I think if anything, all this move does is sort of prove that the nationals aren't giving up. And I say this before basically anything has happened in this off season, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if the nationals win the NL East again next year, even after losing Bryce Harper, I think they have a ton of talent. Even in the outfield, they have Soto and Robles and Eaton, which form a great trio, even if Harper presumably leaves. So I'm glad the Nationals aren't tearing it down, like perhaps some other teams we will talk about in a moment. And I think they'll still be very competitive, and they need a bullpen to do that, which they haven't had for years. So he helps. They traded for Kyle Bearclaw, who is sort of an erratic, hard thrower, like many relievers in baseball right now. So good move for them. I think Rosenthal's good. It's the middle relief is is sort of, you know, if you're trying to build a, a bullpen like the one that uh, or something close to to the one that the Brewers rolled out last year, it's tough because you can't really, that's the one spot where you can't really go out and throw money at a problem in free agency because free agent relievers tend to be kind of a crapshoot and they become an, an increasingly expensive one. I mean, look at, you know, the the Rockies and Wade Davis and Brian Shaw, for instance, you know, we've seen teams try this and and uh, have it blow up in their face. And at least if for the national sake, if if this blows up in their face, then it'll only cost them seven million dollars. So, yeah, this is it seems fine. Um, you say Kikuchi is going to be posted. This is a little bit old news, but we love uh, Japanese pitchers coming over. Uh, He is a 27-year-old left-hander for the Cebu Lions. In 2017, he had a 197 ERA, struck out better in the batter in inning in 26 starts. In 2018, he battled shoulder injuries, made only 23 starts, uh, 304 ERA, 8.4 strikeouts per nine, 2.5 walks per nine, uh, 163 and two-thirds innings pitched. Seems like a, a middle of the rotation type. You know, we've seen so many uh, pitchers come over. You know, Kenta Maeda was, is a, a good recent example of this. Like, he's going to be good if if the arm holds up because you know, we've seen pitching in in high school in Japan is like pitching uh, pitching in the Big West in the 1990s. Like everybody just throws 200 innings to start, and you know, we've seen some of these guys have a lot of wear and tear on their arms by the time they get over here. The concern with him from people I've read who have watched him closely is that he might have peaked a season or two ago and at least this past year like you said with the injury issues wasn't quite as sharp he didn't strike out as many batters but they still say he could have the ceiling of a number two starter which is a valuable asset and I think there are a lot of pitchers like that on the market this year especially with Kershaw just signing the extension Patrick Corbin is probably an ace type but there isn't really anyone else who reaches that level. There are a lot of mid-tier guys, whether it's Dallas Keuchel or Charlie Morton or Jay Happ, and Kikuchi slots nicely in with them and is probably going to be cheaper than a lot of them. Like, would you want to have Dallas Keuchel in his 30s versus Kikuchi, who's a few years younger and maybe hasn't experienced the same MLB success yet, but has been phenomenal in the second-best baseball league in the world? I think he could depending on what contract he signs for, it could be a steal for the winning team this offseason. And your point about a lot of guys who are, you know, number two or three starters, there's, apart from maybe Corbin, there isn't really an ace, but so many, like every team needs just another good starting pitcher. He's going to give them another 
I don't know, like not even 200 innings, like just 25 starts and and don't blow up in the playoffs. So, you know, you think a, the A's could use that. The Brewers could use that. The Phillies could use that. You know, the Braves could probably use that. Pretty much every team will be will be in on these guys. So I think it's a it's a good confluence of need and uh, and abundance of pitchers. You know, you mentioned Hap, Nathan Eovaldi. Uh, they'll have you know everybody will have their choice. You know, Baseball Reference has Kikuchi at or they they uh, predict the top or the uh, the destination and the the eventual contract for their top 50 free agents. They have Kikuchi ranked 12th and going to San Diego for six years and $42 million. So if you mean MLB trade rumors, what did I say? Baseball reference. Oh, sorry. Yeah. MLB trade rumors. Um, baseball reference predicts nothing about, <laughs> about these free agents. Um, so yeah, if you get two or three, number two or three uh, starter production out of that, that's $7 million a year. That's, that's what it costs to take a flyer on Trevor Rosenthal. So yeah, that's definitely a gamble I would consider taking if I were a major league GM. And then finally, and most uh, controversially, Buster only reports that the Cleveland Indians will be listening uh, for trade offers on numerous of their veteran uh, veteran stars. Corey Kluber is the big name, uh, but he also said they were uh, listening on Carlos Carrasco, Edwin Ar- Encarnacion, Yas- or, uh, Jan Gomes, and a couple others. Lindor and Ramirez will definitely be held on to, as you'd imagine, you know, you're not going to give up on two, probably two of the best 10 position players in the American league. Um, this is horseshit. What do you think? Yeah, I think both of us have, have rants. This is so John Heyman reported this morning that one of the perhaps motivating factors behind Cleveland shopping Kluber is that he, by virtue of finishing well in the Cy Young races, has seen the last few years of his contract go up $4 million a year. And Kluber, when you, a couple off-seasons ago, ranked the most player-unfriendly contracts in baseball, ranked fourth. He had the fourth most team-friendly or owner-friendly, however you want to frame it, contract in baseball. And Cleveland is concerned about an extra $4 million because they developed him so well that he won a Cy Young that's absurd and I think there is an argument that Kluber is at perhaps a downturn in his career. There have been some warning signs about him the last two years, uh, giving up a lot of home runs, having some sputters with his, you know, with his control, et cetera. But Kluber's still a really, really good pitcher. And if you're going to trade him because you're going to grab an all-star outfielder to fill another hole and you think your rotation is good enough, then fine. But if you're going to trade him because he is making eight figures a year and you can't afford that, then that's just ridiculous. Yeah, sell the team. Like, if if you're not willing to, to pay 17 and a half, and it's not even, like, if you're trying to win and win on... Uh, Heyman reports their, their payroll is $145 million. The Indians have run a $100 million payroll three times in the... Uh, oh, sorry. No, they started at... They ran their first $100 million opening day payroll um, of the 21st century in 2017 it, when they were coming off a World Series. Last year, they came off a 100-win season. This year, they waltzed to the playoffs. There's nobody else in the division that's that's going to jump up and bite them. And if first of all, if you're trying to build a competitive team on a shoestring budget, they've got 800 innings worth of of ace to number two or three quality starting pitchers in Kluber, Carrasco, 
uh, Mike Clevenger and Trevor Bauer for, depending on how much Bauer makes in arbitration, probably about $40 million, which is, you know, Kershaw is going to make more than $30 million next year. Patrick Corbin might make, you know, $30 million next year. And like, is Adam Plutko going to come up and fill that void? Like, I don't know where else you're going to get more value for that money, particularly after they've gutted their farm system for the past uh, three years, going out and chasing middle relievers. There is no better way to spend $17.5 million that's obviously available to the Indians right now than spending it on Corey Kluber. And when I wrote that thing about, or when I listed the the top 25 worst contracts in baseball from the player's perspective, it's not just Kluber. Four, Carlos Carrasco was number seven. So why are you tearing this down? Like, are you going to try to, to, instead of paying $140 million for a 95-win team, waltz into the playoffs and take your shot with probably the best rotation in the American League, take your shot against the Red Sox, the, the Yankees, and the Astros, then um, are you going to try to win the division at 83 games at $80 million? Like, are you trying to to win the fan graphs dollar per war pennant? Are we going to, you know, how far are we from erecting banners for most dollars per win? It's just, it's, it sucks that you can sell this to fans now. And I don't say this from any anti-tanking or anti-intellectual perspective. Like it's we're talking about there's there's been rumors about the Mariners potentially selling off the likes of James Paxton. And they're in a tough position. Like they're they're a true talent, low 80s win team with two other really good teams in the division, not much farm system, not much payroll flexibility, and their core's only getting older. Like I could see the argument for for blowing that up and starting over. The Indians are, what, the second or third best team in baseball over the past three years? And you're going to blow that up now because it's not even getting that expensive? It's indefensible. And you know who, this wasn't on your list because it wasn't the contract at the time, but you know who has the worst contract in baseball right now? It's Jose Ramirez, who was signed through 2023 with a mix of control years and then team options. Next year, he's making $3.75 million. That's less than middle reliever money. So you're getting such a benefit from him. You're getting such a benefit from having guys like Shane Bieber in pre-RB years that you need to you know, spend money on an ace. Now is the time. And... I th- I think we might, you know, be we might be overreacting a bit because, you know, every offseason there are rumors about guys being traded, but this would fit in to a particularly insidious strain of baseball thinking right now, which is I think why we're both so out- outraged by it and especially because Cleveland plays in the AL Central like last year everyone was talking about holes on their roster and they didn't address it because they still you know, won the division by 45 games. And you know, if things went differently, they could have advanced in the playoffs. That's essentially what's going to happen again this year. Every single person is going to pick Cleveland to win the division and they'll have a huge margin for error regardless of what they do. If they trade Corey Kluber, they're still 15 games better than Minnesota at a minimum. So if that's part of what appeals to, to this kind of thinking, then that's... a you know, I'm not one of those people who's concerned about how baseball is being ruined right now, but this particular instance, if this ends up happening, would, I think, actually worry me from that perspective. Congratulations on turning one of the best and most, you know, if this happens, I'm getting preemptively outraged. I will concede that. But if this happens, congratulations on turning one of the best and most exciting baseball teams of the, of the 2010s into the fucking Pittsburgh Pirates. Also one of the best and most exciting teams of the 2010s, but 
that's perhaps another story. Okay, this seems like a good time to take a break. We're going to discuss free agency uh, and give our our best fits for some of the top free agents uh, out there on the market this year. So we'll be right back with that after these messages. Career MLB shows brought to you by Bombas. Thanks to two years of research and development and multiple improvements in design, performance, and comfort, Bombas are the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. With an arch support system that provides extra support where you need it most and a cushioned footbed that's reinforced for comfort without added bulkiness, Bombas feel like a hug around your foot. Not to mention Bombas Stay Up technology ensures that your socks stay in place without leaving a mark. And the super soft cotton material makes you never want to take it off. So whether you're a runner, a power walker, or a power lounger, there's a pair of Bombas that'll add comfort to your life. Friends, if I've told you once about the importance of great socks like Bombas Lightweights Performance Ski and Snowboard Socks in cold weather, I've told you a thousand times and it's going to snow here where I live on Friday. So if you want a pair of Bombas socks, you're running out of time before it gets really cold. But I have good news. You too can acquire a pair of Bombas socks by going to bombas.com slash MLB and using the code MLB for 20% off your first order. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash MLB, code MLB, and you'll get 20% off your first order. Rare MLB Show is also brought to you by the Google Pixel. Unleash the most powerful Pixel ever on the network chosen by Google, Verizon. The Pixel 3 has more than just any camera. It takes group selfies, snaps, and portrait mode, and helps you always pick the perfect moment with Top Shot, which automatically recommends the best pictures where no one is blinking and everything looks just right. And the Pixel 3 also has the power of Google Lens, which means you can search what you see. And when you get the Pixel 3 on Verizon, it comes with America's best network. Now families can mix and match their unlimited plans on the best network. With Unlimited on Verizon, everybody in the family gets what they want without paying for the things that they don't. Visit your local Verizon store today or learn more at po.st slash the ringer. Now back to the show. All right, so what we're going to do now, uh, just by way of sort of a cursory free agent preview, because I don't know, know about you, Zach, but I have I have zero confidence in my ability to actually predict who's going where and for how much after last season. Last last offseason rattled me. Well, I didn't really put any faith in my predictions even before last offseason, so perhaps it didn't rattle me as much. But even the top guys, like I've seen for Harper and Machado ranges from predictions of like 250 million to 450 million. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what we're going to do now is uh, give our personal best fits for eight top free agents. Um, This is not necessarily where we think we're going to go and it's not total pipe dreamy stuff. Like, you know, I wish the Rays would, would go and splash $400 million for Bryce Harper, but we know it's not going to happen. So this is sort of an intermediate uh, realistic dream scenario. Uh, for each of of the top eight free agents. So we're going to get us started with uh, the number one free agent on my board, and that's right-handed pitcher Lance Lynn. Um, I would like to to see him go to the Milwaukee Brewers. They just need, they need exactly the kind of pitcher Lance Lynn is, which is if you get him to spring training on time and he doesn't have Tommy John surgery, which accounts for the, the one season he's missed and the one bad season he's had in the pros, he's more or less guaranteed 30 starts of above average baseball pitching into a pretty good defense. I think he would be great value for money there. And it's not like not even the best case scenario for, for them would obviously be like, you know, tossing Burns and Hura into a Jacob deGrom deal or something like that. Like, obviously, they they would benefit from an ace, but that's not they can get away with uh, 
getting a lot of value from an underrated pitcher. And I think that would make him and spending on the free agent market worked out so well for them last year with uh, with Lorenzo Kane and, and going out and trading for for Christian Yelich. You know, they're a team that was rewarded for its boldness last season. And I would like to to see that trend continue. I think I followed sort of the same logic in making my fit. I would like to see Lance Lynn go to Oakland. He mm-hmm. kind of fits the profile of like last year when you looked up in August and Edwin Jackson, he had an ERA in the twos or Brett Anderson, he had an ERA in the threes. He's that kind of pitcher who's sort of a journeyman at this point and you don't necessarily expect... Not journeyman, he played for three teams in his entire career. He's but, way better than... Brad Anderson. I mean, I mean, in terms of, I expect the next few years of his career to be journeyman, where he bobs okay. from team to team and kind of never is like a starter you get excited about. Well, maybe a starter that you get excited about, but a starter that the average fan gets excited about, but he still provides them five capable innings every fifth day. I think Lynn would fit Oakland's budget, and, and similar to what you're talking about with Milwaukee, and Oakland isn't going away, and I'd like to see them at least supplement their starters. They have some guys coming back from injury, but the thing about injured players is they oftentimes get injured again. So someone like Lance Lynn, who is more stable than that, will you know hopefully help out their rotation. One thing I'd like to see in the next couple of years, you know, one one place where I think it's going to be uh, one really smart place to to spend your free agent money is to just pay sticker price for players you're pretty sure are going to be good. Like, you know, they're the Bryce Harper only comes up once in a in a decade. And, you know, you can't spend your entire offseason budget like trying to to catch the Charlie Morton two you know, two years for 14 million dollar deal uh, lightning in a bottle. You know, just go out and, and pay good players what they're worth. And those good players will usually come through for you. I think that's going to end up being a, a smart place that teams can can invest in, you know, Lance Lynn is certainly that kind of player. I think if he ends up on the A's, then uh, you and I might have to go off and start another podcast just about the Oakland A's and and Lance Lynn and hand this over to somebody else. Look um, forward to it. Yeah. All right. Bryce Harper, who is the number one free agent on the MLB Trade Rumors Board. Uh, why don't you go first? I, I went a little off the board with this. So Bryce Harper, I think, is... I would put him as the second best free agent in this class. If I were running a team, everything else neutral, I would pick Machado ahead of him. They're basically the same age. They're, you know, Harper might be a slightly better hitter, but I think Machado's defensive value really dwarfs what Harper can bring on that side. And if you look at Harper's career, he had that MVP season where he was Mike Trout's equal, but he hasn't lived up to like anywhere close to that any other season. I think he's still very good. He's still very young, which is why he's going to get a huge contract, but he's not the slam dunk free agent he looked you know, just a year or two ago. Uh, I think from the teams that are interested in him, they might not have the budget for it at this point because they were like trying to trade away pieces just to afford Cole Hamels' option, but I think Harper would fit well with the Cubs to give them another really powerful middle-of-the-order bat with Bryant and Rizzo and Baez. I think for a lot of last season, even some of you know the year before, the Cubs seemed one player short. And while a lot of that might be with pitching, I think Harper you know, obviously would help out any team. And while the budget might be an issue, like, come on, you're the Cubs. You're printing hundreds of millions of dollars every year. You can afford Bryce Harper and it'll be okay and he'll make your team a lot better. Uh, they probably won't do it, but I'd like to see them try. 
I think that makes sense. I wonder if the Cubs outfield is a little more crowded. Like if if we're going to see one of the very, very top echelon teams really shell out for him, I think the Dodgers make a little bit more sense and they could just stop screwing around and just have an everyday left fielder. And then if maybe you move Harper back to right in a couple years when Puig's contract is up, um, it, he would obviously also fit in it, uh, with the Yankees, although I hope he doesn't go there just because his beard is so great and they would make him shave it off. You know, you fit with the Phillies. But where I really want him to go, oh, I should say Bryce Harper and Reese Hoskins uh, liked each other's couple's uh, Halloween costumes. Uh, which I think is an important bit of free agent news. Uh, <laughs> speaking of teams that that would have to shuffle around to get them in the, to get Harper into the lineup, though, uh, I would like to see the Chicago White Sox, and uh, this will not happen. This is marginally more likely than uh, than the Rays, you know, shelling out four hundred million dollars. But like, you broke up one of those cost controlled cores like we were uh yelling at the at the Indians from break, or for breaking up you got all those you know you got Eloy Jimenez you got Mancata you had Carlos Rodon in the fold you brought in Ronaldo Lopez and it's not they lost 100 games last year and they were 100 ga- or 100 lost bad but you could see them about to turn the corner and i'm a big fan of two kinds of transactions the one the free agent signing that signals a t- a big market team's intention to come out of the rebuild and the deadline the trade deadline move uh that puts them over the top so it's the difference between um let's say the national signing jason worth to a contract that was that everybody thought was too expensive but this was like we are ready. We have our core, and now we're going to start building around it. And then uh, the the second type of move is you know, the Blue Jays trading for David Price, the Phillies trading for Cliff Lee in 2009, the Rangers trading for Cliff Lee the year after that. Um, it's I love those those free agent signings that that really they do a lot for for fans. Like they, it's it's it it's a signal to pay attention again that, that we are forced to be reckoned with again. And I don't know who else is good. You know, the, the twins have their own issues. I don't know who else is going to jump up and bite Cleveland uh, in the American league central. And particularly if they start getting cute with the likes of Kluber and Carrasco, they could be there for the taking. And this white Sox team, you know, I'm not as bullish on them as I was a couple years ago when they, right after they made the the sale and Eaton and, and uh, Quintana trades, but there's a ton of talent on that team. And imagine what you could do if you had more than one good major league hitter. If you're not tossing Daniel Palka and Nicky Delmonico out there in the middle of your lineup, if you have an actual bona fide superstar to build around. I think it, there's a huge opportunity for a, a low payroll team in a big market to make a splash like that. The White Sox seem like a good example, even though I know it's probably not going to happen. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because if we move on to the next free agent, I actually have him similarly going to a surprise team. I would be shocked if Manny Machado ends up signing with the Padres, but I think that would be a similar kind of pushing in the chips move. AJ Preller certainly is not afraid to push in his chips. And in addition to liking that kind of aggressive go for it transaction, I think I'm also a sucker for teams that build up strong positional groups 
And if the Padres build an infield with Machado and Eric Hosmer at the corners, even if Hosmer isn't quite so good, he's obviously you know, expensive and was their big acquisition last offseason. If they have Machado and Hosmer at the corners and then prospects Luis Urias and Fernando Tatis Jr. at the middle infield spots, that's a pretty impressive infield. And it has a nice mix of youth and veteran leadership, whatever you want to you know, add to that intangible. It has a mix of defensive ability and offensive ability, power and speed. And I think that would be really fun. I'm not sure who the best team, who the second best team in the NL West is right now. And I would bet San Diego has their eyes on a surprise wild card run next year. And Machado would certainly be a step in that direction. Yeah. The only, I was about to say, what about Christian Villanueva? But who gives a crap? Yeah, you're not, Christian you're not avoiding Manny Machado because yeah, of Christian yeah. Villanueva. Um, it'll be interesting to see how much Machado really wants to play uh, shortstop and how much that uh, that impacts his ultimate destination. Because uh, I have him going, if I had to match one destination with one of these top high-profile free agents, I would be most confident with Machado to the Phillies. Um it just makes so much sense. They're flawed at the, they've got a lot of infielders, but particularly on the left side, I'm not wild about Machado uh, as a defensive shortstop going forward, but he'd be 300 times better than Scott Kingery. And if the, the team is just out on JP Crawford at this point, then you've got to do something about that. Cause what they had at shortstop last year was just, I mean, maybe not the whole difference between them and the Braves, but it was a lot of it. It would be so easy. He would fix so many of their problems. Um, he stated a desire to play on the East Coast. Uh, this just seems like a team with obvious needs, obvious resources, and an obvious solution right there. I'd be pretty surprised if the Phillies don't end up with either Harper or Machado just because it seems like they have both the money and the desire to make a splash that would yeah. compel them to sign one of them. And speaking of money, like they're a team that's been running middle of the pack payrolls and they ought to, you know, when they were, when they were contending uh, in the, at the end of the last decade, the beginning of this decade, they were right up there with the Yankees, the Red Sox and the Dodgers. That's, that's the, they ought to be a top five payroll team. You know, I think they've got the, the money to keep a lot of these guys, keep a lot of their young core around, lock them up long-term, sign at least one of Harper or Machado plus another free agent and probably still have money left over if Mike Trout hits free agency because obviously that's his proximity to to Carson Wentz and Ben Simmons is very important to Mike Trout from uh, from what everybody gathers. So they're going to make a splash. I think if they're going to make a splash, Machado makes a lot of sense. And as much as the bullshit that he did during the playoffs, like if I don't really worry about that playing playing with the fan base because we've had so many successful Phillies players have run hot and cold with the fan base and Machado like a lot of the stuff that Machado does is like weird low level violence which plays pretty well there you know between Chase Utley and Bobby Clark and and Brian Dawkins you know I I think Machado could be a cult hero there if if uh, everything works out well all right so that brings us to Patrick Corbin Zach. Yankees, I think this is my most obvious fit of any player on the board. He's the best pitcher available. The Yankees very much need a pitcher for their unsettled rotation. They ducked under the luxury tax last offseason to reset their penalties. And neither of us have them getting Harper or Machado. I think they might be one of the co-favorites along with the Phillies to actually get Machado at this point. They have a lot of money to spend. They have the need. Corbin grew up a Yankees fan, said 
I think as recently as last April, that he would love to play in pinstripes one day. So I think that's a pretty obvious fit. This seems like a like the consensus destination for Corbin. I don't really get why the Yankees are why people are talking about the Yankees rotation like it's Oakland's rotation. Um, they got plenty of depth. They've got minor league depth coming back. Jordan Montgomery is going to be back at some point next year. Um, I you know, their need is not as great as a team like Seattle, uh, which is where I would I think Corbin would be a better fit. He would he would just be he would make more of a difference there. And that's not to say that Seattle has the money or that Corbin has the desire to go there. But I think if if we're looking for a team that really needs another starting pitcher, because people talk about James Paxton like an ace or like a young up and coming ace. He turned 30 today. James Paxton is an ace. How dare you? He's he turned 30 today. He's never qualified for an ERA title. Uh, Lance Lynn has, I think, three different seasons of 120 ERA plus and uh, and 30 starts. And James Paxton's never uh, made 30 starts in a season. He's got two years of team control left. You need another guy. You just do. And if they're serious about contending again, um, then they need to then the Mariners need to go out and make a splash. And if you wind up overpaying, then you wind up overpaying. But that's probably why I don't run a team, because ownership would not like me very much. Um, Dallas Keuchel, who I think a lot of people thought would be the top left-handed pitcher on this market if if Kershaw didn't opt out. Um, This was obviously before he's had a rough go of it, before uh, Corbin's breakout season. Where do you have him going? Don't you kind of... I think Keiko reminds you of Kyle Freeland. At least he does to me. So I'd like to see them team up in Colorado. I think uh, it'll keep them warm. Yeah, the the rotation that Colorado already has built from their minor league system with Freeland and Herman Marquez and a couple other less touted players is quite good. And adding another player to that last year, they went all in on the bullpen and that didn't really work out. So I'd like to see them continue investing in their team because it seems, again, like that division at least the second spot is ripe for the picking with Arizona looking to take a step back. I think Keiko would fit well as a, a ground ball pitcher at course. He'll give you 200 innings. And like, you know, they need competent starting pitchers. And we've seen guys, not just Freeland, but Senzatel has had success as a guy who isn't really a high strikeout uh, guy. And you look at a Herman Marquez, Kyle Freeland, Dallas Keiko starter, you know, top of the rotation. That looks pretty scary. And that's, you know, if you're a ground ball pitcher in cores, we've seen that very, very much not go well uh, in the past. But he'd be pitching into a pretty good defensive infield with with Story and Arenado. Um, and we'll see what happens with with DJ LeMahieu, whether he comes back or not. Um, but I think that makes a lot of sense. They're another team that could just stand to pay sticker price for a good starting pitcher. Um, I if I don't have Harper going to the Phillies, I think the Phillies would have money left over for another top free agent. Uh, I could see Keuchel just because of his declining strikeout rate and his age being somebody whose price drops beyond what uh, like the the perception of him not being a bargain could cause he, he could become so overrated. He's underrated. And if that happens, then I could see him being a, a good fit for the Phillies who themselves have a lot of question marks in their starting rotation. Next up, I think, is a, another pitcher on our list. This one, Craig Kimbrell. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I think both of us actually have the same destination here, which is just him re-signing with Boston. Yeah, don't mess, you know, don't mess with a good thing. And Dave Dombrowski, not afraid to pay for a proven closer, uh, given his history of building uh, you know, shaky bullpens. But it worked. He 
as much fun as it was to watch him try and blow leads in the ninth inning, did not lose a single save in the playoffs. So keep keep it going, run it back. By the time he figured it out, like we he was just as reliable as anybody. And we forget in 2017, he was what he had one of the best relief pitcher seasons ever. Uh so I don't know if he gets the the Kenley Jansen contract, the sort of 580 uh neighborhood, but I would expect something like that bringing him back to Boston, maybe a little bit shorter term. Um, one guy who I'm really interested to uh, to see what happens to him is Yasmani Grandal, who if you you know if you're a believer in a bad playoff run costing players money, ain't nobody had a worse playoffs than Yasmani Grandal. Um, and the weird thing about that is he is a top three player at the position in baseball where talent is the most scarce. And he can be had for nothing but money. Uh, I think that makes him potentially the bargain of the offseason. And I think a team with some question marks with um, I did a, a radio hit with uh, uh, last week in Toronto. Where they were asking about the Astros and, you know, what do you do to to shore up that team to the point where they don't lose in five to the to the Red Sox. I'm like, I don't know, really know where their weaknesses are. You know, we think about McCann uh, being on his way out. Max Stassi sort of cooled off. I, you know, I don't know. Catcher is one spot where they are, I think, a little bit weak. And they're a team with money to spend. And I think that would be a, a good landing spot for Grandal. I have Grandal going to the Red Sox last year. There were interesting. Th- there were 313 players last year who batted at least 250 times. So that's a lot of players. The worst in batting line was Sandy Leone. And the second worst was Christian Vasquez. Both of those uh, were Red Sox catchers, and while the Red Sox still won the World Series, it would have perhaps been easier if they had someone like Grandal, who in every single season of his major league career has been an average or better hitter behind the plate. He might not be Sandy Leone on defense, but you know, there's a reason that teams carry two pitch ca- framer, and you know, and and you can have a catch and throw, you know, you hang on to one of those guys as a catch and throw guy to use as a defensive replacement. Absolutely, exactly. And just in terms of lengthening Boston's lineup, which is already so good at the top, I think Grandal could be a really valuable addition to the World Series winners. All right, last guy on the list uh, is AJ Pollock, who is not one of MLB Trade Rumors' top eight guys, but he's somebody I am very, very interested in his ultimate uh, destination. He could be this this postseason or this offseason's Lorenzo Cain, a guy who has shown flashes of being like a top 10 MVP guy, a legitimate center fielder who can hit. Um, the risk is obviously injury, a little bit of age, but... You know, you if you could get him for what the the Brewers got Kane for last year, I think a a team with a need for a center fielder he could make a huge difference there, and that's why I am going to the Mets. Um, the Mets are a te- they're not that far out. It's this is so weird for as much as we shit on them, but they are not that far off the pace right now in the in the National League East. And if they make a couple smart moves, they could do pretty much what the Brewers did last year, bring back that rotation. I hope that you get a full good season out of Michael Conforto, bring up Peter Alonso, and then you're cooking. You know, there are question marks with the, the Nationals, with the Braves. You know, the Phillies haven't really proven anything yet. And so that division is there for the taking if they make a couple smart, smart moves. I like that fit a lot, even though I... Have no, you know, no inside information about this happening. I just think this this deal would make a lot of sense. Putting AJ Pollock, who has batted 500 times in a season just once in New York with the Mets and their medical history, is just cruel. Uh, 
I have AJ Pollock. I don't think that's going <laughs> to. I think it. On a, I legitimately think a new front office is going to bring in a new. Let's see a less Stone Age understanding of of uh, the disabled list and and uh, sports medicine. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of optimistic for as, as icky as I find the Brody Van Wagenen hiring process. I I am a little bit optimistic that he could bring around a little bit of change. Bobby, save this clip for next spring when like Jacob Degrom and Noah Syndergaard run into each other and both miss a month. Yeah, and uh, can you <laughs> save that so you can play it back for Sean? Uh, at my review next year. Talking yourself into the Mets doing something differently is a truly iconic we do this every offseason move by you, Bauman. I told you, I'm I'm here for the takes now. Measured, you know, measured analysis is boring. I, I'm, actually, I'm I actually going all in on the takes. agree that the Mets could be good next year, uh, but, you know, I'll believe in their medical staff when it actually well, starts. Well, here's the other thing. Here's the last thing. Like, A.J. Pollock isn't a guy who like his shoulder wears out every year. Like some, a lot of his injuries are collision injuries. Like these are not recurring, you know, uh, degenerative soft tissue conditions or whatever. It's like, he's not going to break his elbow on uh, the day before opening day every year. AJ uh, Pollock <laughs> broken elbow confirmed. <laughs> I have AJ Pollock fitting in Cleveland, even if the financial part of it doesn't make any sense. Maybe this is after they you know trade some of their, good, relatively higher price players for prospects. Uh, but Cleveland's biggest hole, perhaps outside the bullpen, was outfield where they weren't very good at all last year. And Michael Brantley, who is their one reliable outfielder, is leaving in free agency. I think Pollock's injury history actually would have the the least concern in Cleveland because they'll presumably be up by so much in the division that if he misses a month, then he misses a month. But he's okay. As long as he's back for October, he'll help. And he would help in their lineup he'd help with their defense sort of all around fitting uh the biggest hole that cleveland has that'd be a hell of a thing you know to head fake towards trading off kluber and carrasco or maybe edwin encarnacion is the guy they they get rid of um yeah i'd probably rather have kluber than pollock plus whatever prospects kluber brings back but i agree i mean when was the last time they had a a reliable center fielder i mean rajay davis hit the the most famous home run yeah, of the decade, okay. but I talked myself into Tyler Naquin for a while. All right. Um, so before we go, I wanted to highlight one dark horse free agent, maybe a guy who's not in the in the top 10 to 15 who you think will will improve a team, maybe on a you know, the kind of guy who gets like four years, 30 million dollars or something like that, who uh could wind up being one of those free agent signings where he shows up and like, you know, where did this guy come from? And so who's who are these guys for you? So my number one pick here is Nelson Cruz, the designated hitter, who, according to MLB Trade Rumors, is number 22 in free agency this offseason. He's old and he can't play defense and he can't really run, but he can hit. Uh, over his four years in Seattle, he ranked number six among major league players in WRC+. Plus. He was 47% better than average. The player right ahead of him was Bryce Harper, who is 49% better than average. So he's not as young as Bryce Harper, and he can't do those other things. But you're basically getting Bryce Harper's bat if you add Nelson Cruz next year. He signed for four years in Seattle, and everyone panned it. They thought it would be a, mm-hmm. a terrible contract, and it worked out incredibly well. I think Nelson Cruz to Houston would be my fit. I've been advocating for Houston to add just another monster power bat in their lineup for a couple 
years now. I wanted them to trade for Giancarlo Stanton. I wanted them to trade for Bryce Harper at last offseason. And I want Cruz to hit it toward the Crawford boxes. I think that would oh, be man. that would be a spectacle. And that would be a hell of a thing. Even if Houston's ballpark isn't as hitter friendly as it seems just from looking at it, like, you know, Yuli Gurriel was hitting cleanup for them in the playoffs, and he's not, you know, as good a hitter as as I think Houston thinks, but also he's not the guy you want protecting Altuve and Bregman and Correa if he's healthy again. So adding Cruz would just make you know the top five of their lineup absolutely incredible. Yep. Can't run DH only, but 500 slugging percentage or better each of the past six seasons, at least 37 home runs each of the past five seasons, has played in at least 144 games each of the past five seasons. Would I give him... I don't know, another, you know, four-year contract? No. But are you better off spending a one-year 10 million on him than and then one-year 20 million on Josh Donaldson? Maybe. Uh yeah, I think I think that makes a lot of sense. My guy is actually the person he might replace in the lineup, Marwin Gonzalez. We've seen positional flexibility be it's the be all end all now. And a switch hitter who can defend every position pretty much except catcher in center field, who's a league average hitter. I don't know that he's going to get half of of what his his value is in terms of uh, in terms of salary and in terms of what he can open up elsewhere on the field. He's a fit just by nature of the fact that he can play anywhere for all all 30 teams. And you talked about Guriel hitting cleanup, you know, Marwin was the guy who was playing first base before Gurriel came along. He played left field. He, you know, he might give way to to Kyle Tucker next year. He was he played second base when Altuve was hurt. He played shortstop uh, when Carlos Correa was hurt. He can do pretty much everything. There is he is the epitome of the reliable veteran who you're going to get on the cheap. Who's going to make a huge difference? It's not going to be a huge splash, but like if the team that signs him makes the playoffs. We're going to get a bunch of stuff during the division series about how all the little things that he does well. He's the kind of guy who every year in July, when teams are making, you know, angling to make trades, there are two types of players they want. It's good relief pitchers and guys like Marwin Gonzalez and Ben Zobrist who can just fit in everywhere. And, he, you know, he's not old like Zobrist. As Drupal Cabrera, you know, is, is going to get interest because he can do about half the things that Marwin Gonzalez does. Um, so I think he's going to be a guy who uh, is going to make a big difference and probably fly under the radar. But. And hopefully sign before February. Oh, boy. I mean, if only for our sake, from an editorial standpoint. All right. So that feels like a good place to to end. We'll be back next week to talk about more offseason topics. Uh, probably have Ben Lindbergh back. Um, so until then, thanks for uh, for coming on and, and ranting with me, Zach. It was it was refreshing. Let's do it again sometime. And that will do it for this week's Ringer MLB show. Thanks to Zach Cram for joining me today. Thanks to Bobby Van Wagoner for stitching today's episode together. Thanks to Bryce Harper's Instagram, Corey Kluber, and Manny Machado for giving us stuff to talk about. And thank you for listening. Enjoy the offseason, and we'll see you next time.